Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, April 27. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. And I'm Leah Mallory. Let's get into what's happening around the city. Mayor Adams has announced his executive budget proposal for the next fiscal year. The budget has been set at $106.7 billion. Budget increases are largely due to the cost of the asylum seeker crisis and labor settlements with workforces. 60% of the budget will go towards health care, education, and social services. The mayor says libraries and cultural institutions have not received any budget cuts. Mayor Adams says funds will be invested to improve mental health services, NYCHA developments, sustainability initiatives, and support college students looking for employment. This week, city council members discussed how to protect citizens from lead poisoning. WFUV's Caroline Ely has the story. This week, the city council held a hearing about lead paint remediation in New York City housing. Chair Perina Sanchez said this disproportionately negatively impacts low-income communities and communities of color. She pointed out that as of 2021, 65% of children in the Bronx had tested positive for elevated blood lead levels. Lead poisoning today is a hazard faced by a child in New York City, truly, depending on their zip code and their race. Lead poisoning can cause nausea, vomiting, headaches, loss of appetite, and brain damage, even at low doses. Cooper is a teenager who testified at the city council hearing. His firsthand experience with lead poisoning has led to consequences in his own life. I've had to live with multiple side effects from my lead exposure as a baby. Shortly after my lead level shot up to 19, I lost the ability to speak. I have processing issues, short-term memory loss, anemia, asthma. The proposed legislation would put more pressure on the Housing Preservation and Development Committee to enforce lead audits and to offer more services to children who have tested positive for high blood lead levels. With WFUV News, I'm Caroline Ely. And today, WFUV's Jay Doherty is joining us. Jay, it appears that some New Yorkers are rallying today. Can you tell us a bit about that? That's right, Nicoletta. There are actually two major rallies taking place in the city today. The first is a Don't Raise Our Rents rally, where tenant advocates and supporters voice their concerns about the impact of rising rents on low-income tenants. They were rallying outside the New York Rent Guideline Board's public hearing earlier this morning, where they were discussing proposed rent increases. Advocates hope the rally will draw national attention to the high rent prices in the city and persuade the board to keep rent prices reasonable for all New York tenants. These are some really important issues. We all know how expensive New York City rent is. What else is going on today? Advocates also gathered in Lower Manhattan for the Close Rikers rally. They're supporting a federal takeover of the city jail and the permanent closure of Rikers Island. So how will the federal takeover help? The advocates hope outsourcing the control of Rikers Island will get the prison back on its track to closure and in the meantime, improve inmate conditions. Thanks for stopping by, Jay. The possessions of rock and roll icon Freddie Mercury are going to be auctioned off. Sotheby's is putting the personally owned items of Freddie Mercury up for grabs later this year. They'll be part of a collection that will celebrate the artistry and unique taste of Mercury. Some of these items include a silver Tiffany & Co. mustache comb and Mercury's rotary dial telephone. The 77th annual Edgar Allan Poe Awards are being celebrated tonight in Times Square. 
The event celebrates creators who have produced exceptional works in mystery fiction, nonfiction, television, film, and theater. It's hosted by the Mystery Writers of America, an organization dedicated to mystery and crime writers and professionals related to the crime writing field. And for some fun entertainment history, on this day in 2003, Madonna's American Life album became number one on the UK album chart. American Life would also become a U.S. number one album. This month, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture held their annual Black Comic Book Festival to celebrate Black comics and graphic novels. My co-host WFUV's Leah Mallory went to the festival to talk to curators, artists, and attendees to hear about why the celebration of Black comics is meaningful to them. The Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture held their 11th annual Black Comic Book Festival this month. The event, which is also referred to as Shomcom, celebrates Black comics and graphic novels and allows fans to engage directly with a range of content that is Black and POC-owned. Visitors are welcome to participate in panel discussions, workshops, cosplay showcases, and can purchase any of their favorite comics. John Jennings is a professor and storyteller. He co-founded the event more than 10 years ago when he and some friends decided to put their talents together. Now, the Black Comic Book Festival is one of the largest events at the Schomburg Center and plays a key role in helping advance the careers of new artists. There's a lot of people whose careers have blossomed because of the space. Like you have people who are now really doing great work and, and who are, have a, a viable career because of the Shamba, because of being there and being able to make a living and people for, to see their work. The Black Comic Book Festival does something else important. It showcases positive black representation. It's really important for people who are from various backgrounds to see themselves reflected in society that they participate in. There's also this thing as far as, like, normalizing the idea of black heroism and the black joy and the black lives as well. It's super important that the kids who are going to the Schomburg Festival, for instance, will never have to know what it's like to not be the subject of a story. T.J. Sterling, a committee member and exhibitor at the festival, agreed. We got a chance to talk leading up to the event. You know, we want to make it really a regional hub for black creative expression as well as economic opportunity for independent publishers and we really want to get the work of those people into the hands of the readers and the people who consume that content on a regular basis. And Sterling says it isn't just about positive representation but also about authentic representation. It's really true and authentic representation in all forms of fantasy, sci-fi, sequential art, and media. I guess with the recent successes of Black Panther, Moon Girl, and Miles Morales, um, people really wanted to see more of that, and they want to see more authentic representation. This year, for the first time since the pandemic, the festival was actually held in person. So after my chat with Sterling, before the event, I headed over to the Schomburg Center to check it out for myself. Waves of people filled the space, shuffling their way between exhibits and tables filled with comics, posters, stickers, t-shirts, and more. Behind every table stood a vendor, smiling brightly as they shared their work with each spectator. Making my way through the crowd, I stopped at the first table I saw, 
And to my delight, it belonged to TJ Sterling. Sure, absolutely. So um, this is uh, the Ray Comics booth. Essentially, we have five different, four different stories. We've got Joystick Angels, we have Okamas, Shattered Visions, and Okamas Dark History. Sterling started his own comic company called Ray Comics. The booth was filled with an array of sci-fi and dystopian future comics. Can you just tell me why um, comics are meaningful to you? Yeah, to me, comics are like the absolute best way to tell a story. And it's really like if you want to create something new. Um, and it's also really the gateway to other things like video games, um, movies, TV shows. It all starts with this sequential narrative. While Sterling's booth included science fiction, there are a handful of different genres represented, like at writer Jeff Carroll's booth, who I found upstairs. Horror Streets Halloween Wars. It pits my leprechaun, which is a black leprechaun, against a black headless horseman. When I was in my 20s, I used to be a substitute teacher. We were doing a field trip, and it was in a remote location, and we had to cross land that had had slave revolts. So the kids on the bus were sleeping, and so I made up a story about, uh, I said, you didn't know the first, the headless horseman was originally a black person. And it was a whole snap, and then I knew I had them, and I talked about how if you fell asleep while traveling over land that had had slave revolts, you could be possessed by the spirits of the former slave owners. And then I finally was able to publish the story. And stories like this continue to draw on people of all ages. Tiffany, who I ran into on that same floor, brought her young son from upstate to check out the festival. I like comics because I like the stories, because it kind of pulls you away from reality, but also helps you to get through it. But Tiffany didn't just come to the festival to read comics. She wanted her son to experience this specific space. It's really important to expose my children to people that look like them, that are successful, that are entrepreneurs, that are creatives. Because where we are, we don't always get to see this. The teenagers visiting the festival felt the same way. I'm here because I want to see black spaces that are centered around comics and sort of uh, be able to experience that experience places where I'm not usually catered to. Just like, I'm out here to have fun, to see what's there, to get prints that look sort of like me. So yeah. That's Jessica. She was with her friends Leilani and Kiana. They're high school students in Brooklyn. And why is this meaningful to you? I think... For me, it's mostly an affirmation that we, as black people and people of color, can be successful. And I think that's something that we need in our life. It's meaningful to me because it um, it's one of the things that make me thank you. It makes me super happy that we're going outside. And I'm able to go in spaces where my people are, see myself, and things I like the most, such as comic books and mangas. And I just feel super happy. Honestly, I just think it's really important to be, like, especially for younger people, to see that no career or no sort of job is barred just because of what you look like. We kind of, like, are, it's like hammered into our head, like, oh, especially growing up, like, oh, black people can't do this. Black people can't go into the comic book field. Like, black people can't be successful cosplayers. Like, but I feel like it's important for us to know that there is a community for us, by us, that lets us know, like, hey, we can do it. We're here. We've been here. Like, I just think that's really important. Whether the visitors were children, teenagers, or adults, it looked like the Black Comic Book Festival was achieving the original goals co-founder John Jennings laid out. Providing a space where Black comic book lovers 
can see themselves reflected in the stories as authentic, as joyful, and even as heroes. With WFUV News, I'm Leah Mallory. That was my co-host, WFUV's Leah Mallory, at the 11th annual Black Comic Book Festival, discussing why the celebration is so meaningful to visitors. And that's our show for today. I'm Leah Mallory. And I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, and culture. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.